Amen. I, uh, this time of year, one of the things that, as, as most of you, you have your traditions with your families, and when you get together for Christmas, one of the things that we do, and we get together approximately pretty much every other year with my family in Ohio, and we'll be heading out this week, and uh, we do a gift exchange. And you, some of you call them white elephant exchanges, Yankee swaps, you know, I don't know, present robbers, whatever you want to call it, right? We we, we have all these different traditions. And a lot of us, we we have a little bit a different version of that. It is like a Yankee, white elephant kind of swap thing. But so like, you know, you you get your gift and you you buy something and you say, let's all get something, you know, for X amount of dollars, you know, and then you you get whatever. And and a lot of times if you get something that's kind of like cheesy or whatever, you, 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 you make it look really good. But, you know, as you get older, you realize that, the things that look the best on the outside aren't always the best on the inside, right? You know, when kids are younger, they fall for that, right? Well, we sometimes we do too, right? But the point is, is that we have so much fun, even though, you know, you, you exchange your gifts. And the worst part is if, like, you have 12 people, and, like, how we do it, and if I'm number 11, then I, I go and I take the two remaining gifts, and I'm like, nah, I don't want that one. I'm looking around, my brother, Fred, sorry, man, I want that, and I take it, Right? But the problem is, is that number 12, it still has to go, All right? Then 12 goes, and then they realize, and they look at it, and they open the gift, like, I want what Bob has. <laughs> then I end up having, like, some kind of, like, spa candle or something that I'll never use, and I'm like, okay, whatever. Here you go, Sharon. No, so, you know, but, but the thing is, when we have these gift exchanges, a lot of times we end up, Sometimes you walk away satisfied, but a lot of times we can walk away disappointed or feeling like, oh, man, I wish I got this, or if it was only that. And sometimes that's just how it is. We're not always fully satisfied and fulfilled with these exchanges, especially when you can steal from other people, right? But, but listen, it's, it's the Christmas season, as we know. And in anticipation of all the gifts that we're going to give and receive, right, I think that we can all recount the good gifts that we can receive. In your mind, you can think of them. And we don't easily forget the ones that are good, right? And most often, there are those that are very sentimental or some of those that are very useful, you know, and we can make a lot of use out of those gifts. And so we we don't forget them. And the Apostle James, he wrote something in James chapter 1, verse 17 in his epistle. He said this. He said, every good and perfect gift is from above. It's not from number 12 who's going to steal my gift. All right? It's from God. Every good and perfect gift comes from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Oh, this is... Oh, I love it. Because if God doesn't change in that one verse, and I'm not going to tear apart this verse this morning, but if He doesn't change like the shadows, and there's no variation with Him, and all good and perfect gifts come from Him, that means that every gift He gives you is good and perfect. No, that can't be, Bob. There's no way. Do you realize what I've been handed in life? Every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father of heaven lights, with whom there is no change. And every time he gives you a gift, it's good. 
It is. It is good every time, whether you think it or not. And, and, and he, there's just an incredible exchange that goes on between us and God all the time. Every day, he wants to gift us with amazing things. And sometimes we don't reciprocate that or we don't want to even receive. But he wants to pour it out on us. Good gifts. Let's focus today on the fact that every good and perfect gift comes from God himself. Amen? There are countless gifts that God gives, aren't there? I mean, creation and life itself is one of those things. I don't know, I love, you go for a walk, and especially as a, a believer in God and a follower of Jesus, you, you realize that how amazing God has made this world and this universe, and then here's me, I'm part of it, and I can take it all and enjoy it. And it's beautifully made. It's incredible how it works. And it's just awesome. I mean, I can go off and tell you how... how enthralled I am by some of the stuff, even just this past week that I noticed in my own yard. It's amazing. God's given you the gift of your skills and your abilities. He's given you employment. He's given you food on the table and a place of shelter. He's given you clothes on your back. But, and listen, these are just a few of the gifts or the blessings that we have been given. But I'll tell you what, relationships and friendships are the most precious gift God has given. You can have all the other stuff. In fact, you can have it all. But if you don't have any relationship, if you don't have any relationships at all with other people, boy, you're missing out on one of the best gifts God ever made. I'll tell you why I know that what I'm saying is the absolute truth, and you will not win the argument. People are the greatest gift. I know it's hard to imagine when you're thinking about the person sitting next to you right now, maybe even. (laughs) You know, because life isn't easy. But people are God's greatest gift to us. Relationships. Listen, God gave people to you and to me. In fact, it's amazing how it all started, just our existence. They're the most precious gift. And God was a giver from the beginning, as we know, right from the beginning. Human gifts are often imperfect and sometimes even wrongly motivated, aren't they? They're, under, they're unappreciated sometimes. You give something you thought was really good, and it cost you, and they're kind of like, eh, thanks. It happens more than once, and we do the same thing. Sometimes those gifts are defective, and they're even temporary, which they really are on this earth. Gifts that are good, again, and perfect, come only from above, from God. The Bible tells us, and it's very clear, that in the beginning, in the beginning, When it all started, God created the heavens and the earth. We know that first verse in Genesis, don't we? All you Awana students, if you went through, you're going, you know that by heart. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? And the universe all around it, and God said something about everything he created. He said this, he said that it was was good. It was good. Now wait a minute, James just said that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father above, right? Every good and perfect. And in the beginning, God created this, and it was all good. God didn't look back and say, I don't know, man. The giraffe, I think the ze- actually the zebra, I think I gave him too many stripes. You know? He, no, the way it was was the way it was, and God said, It's good, it's perfect, it doesn't need to be changed. It's all good. I'll use that expression now because I don't usually like that expression because it's not always all good. It's all good. And it's perfect. And God said so. And so God, the thing about it is that God is there in relationship. 
The Father, Son, Holy Spirit, the Godhead, the Trinity, the Bible tells us, right? They're in relationship. And something happens even after God creates everything on the sixth day and God says, not just by chance, but he had a plan. And he says, wait a minute. He talks his relationship with the Son and with the Holy Spirit and says, let's make man in our image. Because God wants to gift himself with a relationship that is on the earth and with his creation. That is like His, that there is spirit to spirit, that there is an intellect, there is creativity, that there is worship that can happen. And it's good, and God creates, and He creates the humans, and He says, it's all good when He sat back after day six. It's all good. It was perfect, in fact, the way it was. Humans were perfect. Creation was perfect. Everything was exactly how it was supposed to be. But I want to backtrack just a little bit. Even in day six, while God is enjoying his relationship with Adam, because God is relational, as we see in the Trinity, but he's enjoying that relationship with Adam. And then he realizes something. He realizes that something was not good, right? Something wasn't good. And no, I'm not, this isn't a wedding ceremony. I'm not getting into marriage and Adam and Eve. But something was not good. He saw something because there was not a reflection on earth of the relationship that he had with the Father, the Son, and with the Holy Spirit himself. He didn't, it wasn't there. It wasn't there. He had that with Adam, a relationship. But then he saw on earth, wait a minute. Adam has nobody down there to share that with. That relationship isn't there. He can't quite have that same relationship spiritually, never, by the way, biblically, that he can have with his Rottweiler. It's not going to work. It's just doesn't, it's not, that's not possible. That spiritual communion that you can have with a fellow believer and share the same things with a fellow human, I should say. And so Adam needs a helper and a companion. So what does God do? God gifts him with a wife, and it was good. So, husbands, if your wife is next to you, look at her and say, it's a good gift. It's a perfect gift. In fact, your mom, your, did you do that, Colin? I didn't, okay, good. I, I didn't think I saw you do that. Wives are a good and perfect gift. Oh, if you just knew my wife. Don't even say it. Don't even go there because they are good and perfect. They are God-given and they're from above. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. Again, it's throughout Scripture. It's a good thing. Kathy, thank you. Nice and loud. It's a good thing. Dan, do you realize? It's a good thing. (laughs) We're having fun. This is what we do. We're family. Praise the Lord. It's about relationships. And God creates. And then, after God rests, then something not so good. Sin. Sin. Something got in between the relationship between God and Adam and Eve. And it affected not just Adam and Eve and God, but Adam and Eve and then all humanity after that. And I'm just fast-forwarding. But it wasn't so good anymore. 
And yet God keeps making a way to, make, to fix it, to make it proper, to restore, to reconcile, to move along. But he had a plan all the time so that the good and perfect gift of Jesus could come and make things the way they're supposed to be in our relationship with him and cut out all the bad stuff like ongoing sacrifices that just were horrible, right? To be right with God. And so God has this... I mean, sin just devastated that relationship that God had with humans. I mean, instantaneously, Adam and Eve almost, are, are they're hiding, and God has to go find him again because he wants that relationship. Help! Please help. And so at the right time in God's plan, at the exact right time, he sent the greatest gift ever offered to humanity. Jesus. That's right, Jesus. We all know John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should never not perish but have everlasting life. What did God do in his plan? He had it all along because he longed for that so much, that good and perfect gift of relationship with himself. And he hopes and he wants with each other. And he, he sends Jesus he loves so much. Listen, I, I had a conversation with someone this week. God's love didn't save us. <gasps> Bob, you can't say that. It really didn't. It did Because God could love you until he's blue in the face. But if Jesus didn't shed his blood and die on the cross, you couldn't know God. His love compelled him, caused him. It was so overwhelming that he sent his son. It was his love in action. And he sacrificially gave himself. You aren't saved without Jesus dying and rising again. His love was behind it. But his love itself doesn't save you. It's the catalyst. Amen? And it drives him, because the Bible says that God is love, and everything he does is out of He wants you, he wants us, and he wants us to have that great gift. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 15, the Apostle Paul wrote these words. He says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You know, when you read the context the Apostle Paul is writing to the believers who are so generous, and they're helping those who are in need financially in other ways, and they're collecting all these, these offerings and gifts and sending them to churches and fellow believers, the poor, and the church is taking these up, and they're spreading them out, and they're sharing their wealth, right, in Jerusalem, and he commends them for their eagerness to help and for their generosity. And then all of a sudden, after having said that, he can't leave it out. In verse 15, all of a sudden, bang, he just says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. You can describe, oh, church in Corinth, meeting on the corner of 4th and, and, and East Street. You guys collected $40,000 for the brothers in Ephesus. That's awesome. I can put a number on it. But thanks be to God, you can't describe this gift that God gave us of his son Jesus. You put a dollar amount on your gift, but you can't do that with Jesus. And all he can say is, thanks be to God that he's indescribable. He simply says that he can't find words to describe. But I do think that there are at least four simple reasons that Jesus is indescribable. First of all, I believe he's indescribable because of his nature. I mean, how else can you describe Jesus? What words would you really choose? I know that we have words and we have adjectives and descriptors and we, we do that. But how do you really describe someone, a baby who was born of a virgin? How do you describe God in flesh walking upon earth and reaching out to the hurting masses, sinful masses in humanity at that? 
You know, Isaiah says, and he, called, he said that he would be called Emmanuel, God with us in chapter 7 and verse 14. And in Colossians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul says in verse 15 and 17, and also the writer in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 3, they basically say the same thing, that in him, Jesus was the exact representation of who God was. He was God. Paul says in Colossians that it pleased God the Father that the fullness of God himself would fill that body that Jesus was carrying, that he took on. It was God. Jesus was God. How do you describe that? I mean, we, he's infinite. He's powerful. He's all-knowing. He's, those are amazing words. How do you describe the eternal when, when look at us? How do you describe all-powerful when, I mean, look at this? You know? I mean, and just even authority-wise, how do you do that? How do you describe the indescribable? Well, you can't. Paul says we can't. Words aren't adequate. But many throughout history of the wisest men in the world have tried to describe Jesus. And that's okay. We should. God gave us words and our tongues. And even when we bring together the greatest minds and we get the most expensive vocabulary you can find in words, you still can't adequately describe Jesus and His nature. He's God. Secondly, I think that Paul calls Jesus indescribable because of his purpose in coming to earth. Think about how, I mean, I know we can explain, but to really describe and to understand and to grasp what this really means with with language that does it justice. When we look, when God looked at our world, he knew that our greatest need is not for more wealth. Certainly he didn't come with wealth. He didn't come, and, and, and he looked at our world. God knew that we needed better schools. Oh, we could use that. I'm all for that. We're all for that, I think. He didn't, even, he didn't even come because he knew that we needed a better welfare system, and there's a place for that too. Our greatest need is for a Savior. It's not money. It's not things. It's a Savior. And, and listen, there will never be peace on earth until men have been lifted out of their sin and their hearts are changed and their way of thinking is changed because the Savior has come into their lives. That they become gifted, they receive that gift. Our greatest need is to be saved from, the, from sin and from the very flames of hell and God's wrath itself. And even ourselves, because, boy, we're, we're not too good. Jesus said about his purpose, and he said many things. But in Luke 19.10, after he, he, he notices Zacchaeus wants to see him, and he's in that tree, and Jesus pays attention and stops, and he calls to him, and salvation comes to him. And this is what he says in verse 10. He says that Jesus came, the Son of Man came, to seek and to save that which was lost. To bring back to God the Father relationship so that it's all good. How do you describe that? How do you put into words what God accomplished when he sent his only begotten son into the world? I think that Jesus, God's gift, is indescribable because of his nature and because of his purpose in coming to earth to save people from their sin and grant them eternal life. And thirdly, I believe Jesus is indescribable, this gift, because of the grace by which Jesus was given. This is what makes God's gift so special. You know what? 
He doesn't have to give you that gift. He's God. He doesn't have to give you that gift. But He loves you so much. And that grace, is the love is manifested through His grace. And then He sends His Son. And He gives you, He gives you that invitation. He puts in front of you, will you receive that gift of salvation by faith and, and trusting in Him with your whole heart and believing? Will you do it? He came to seek and save that which is lost. But His grace is incredible. He doesn't owe us anything. Did you know that? God doesn't owe you anything. Indeed, and as you know, we are in constant... Let me back up. As you know, I am in constant rebellion against Him and against His will for my life. i got to be honest. Even if it's the littlest tiny things, but then I miss out on the good and perfect gift of the indescribable Jesus when... I'm rebelling and constantly going against Him. And with that in mind, even with that in mind, the Apostle Paul says, and we've quoted many times, in Romans chapter 5 and and verse 8, he says, that while we were yet in our sin, while we were yet sinners, enemies of God, Christ died on the cross for us. That's grace. God gives a gift not because he feels obligated to give a gift, but because his love is so overwhelming. In Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 to 8, the first few words of verse 8, it says, In him, that being Christ, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. And I love this. Sorry. In accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. I mean, how do you describe that? That every morning I get up and I, I sin, I, I rebel against God, my thoughts are nasty and my attitude stinks and all that, and yet God keeps lavishing His riches on me because of His grace. How do you describe that? Can I tell you? You can't. But I will tell you this. Words fall short in all these things. You can't describe, and the whole point is this, that just like that relationship that Adam and Eve had with God and that God wanted with Adam and Eve, He wants with you, you have to experience this. Oh, listen, some of you who are frozen, chosen Baptists who are so afraid of experience and feeling God and whatever, I'm sorry, I'm being weird, but at the same time, you you, you get all creeped out because you want to be in control. You're so afraid that you're not going to be in control of a God who wants to take over your life. And you're afraid that if you cry or if you feel something or if it's emotional, that's false. It's not really the Holy Spirit. It's not really God. Get over it and experience God for yourself. He's relational. He was a human being. He felt what you felt. He still feels what you feel. He weeps. He cries. He rejoices. He laughs. He dances. He does all that. And just like you do. And you know what? He experiences relationship with you. Have you experienced relationship with Him? Maybe you've tried so hard to describe what that all means and who Jesus is, and you're never experiencing Him, and all it is is intellectual to you. Oh, you are missing out on every good and perfect gift. I get fired up because you do. I want you to have that. I want to have more of that. I, I really, I'm, it gets me excited and I want us to have that and grow in that. How do you just, you've got to experience that grace that he pours out. And when you stop at that manger in Bethlehem and you look at Christ, you have to realize he's a gift of grace. And there are no words 
adequate or sufficient enough to describe God's grace towards us in Jesus, you got to know it for yourself. So now what happens? What happens when I receive God's gift? And I experienced that. When you receive the gifts that have been purchased for you, for example, by loved ones, will this change your life and make you different? I mean, like forever. Or will you always just be the same as you've always been? So, I'm going to pick on Cohen. Hi, Cohen, because he's my son. I'm just saying. This is, you know what I'm talking about, parents, about that grace. I don't, I don't have to buy Cohen gifts. I, I could buy him one. I don't have to buy him 16 on his birthday. But I love him, my grace, and I just give him what, whether he deserves it or not, he gets stuff, right? And you know, the thing is that when, when Cohen, or maybe your kids, when they get the gift that they wanted, they're all giddy and they're all excited. And all of a sudden, even if for two, three weeks before that, they've been, can I just say, little monsters? Um, in, a, in a way, in a way, right? They, they've just been a pain in the, you know, all of a sudden, when they get that, everything changes. And all of a sudden, they're hugging you, and they're all around you, and they're rubbing your back, right? And you're all good and friendly. And, and, right? and then, and then, after four or five days, here comes the real Cohen. Here comes the real Amanda. Here comes the real Monty. Here comes the real Bob, right? Because you're so happy. Oh, Mom, I love you. You're so great. And then like 40. Do we do that with Jesus? Do we do that with Jesus? Think about this. We're talking about eternity and this grace and, and salvation and forgiveness of sins that he's given us by his grace. And how do we respond? And so when you receive that, what do you do? Let me tell you something. The fourth reason why Jesus is indescribable is because of the amazing effect he has on our lives. It transform, he transforms us and changes us forever. I didn't say he made us perfect. He's perfecting us. Boy, and that can be tough. But he, he, he has given us everything we need and blessed us so much right, and come into our lives. And again, when, when, we, when, we, when he comes into our life and we obey him, we're forgiven of our sins. That's the first thing we get. That's the effect. We're forgiven. So the effect is that our conscience is clean and we have the peace of God and things change, right? They, they, if, there can't be any absence of change if you've met Jesus. If, if you're the same, I, I will say you haven't met Jesus. You, you haven't. And, and, I, and I, I'm sorry to say that because I'm sorry in a sense that I, I, I'm sad that that, that that might be your story. If you haven't, if, if you've met Jesus, you'll be changed. I didn't say you'll be Superman or Superwoman and Mr. Holy and you're the next second coming of Jesus. I didn't say that. You're just, you are going to be changed because you're a new creation in Christ now, right? I, not only that, when, when you, you become, you're forgiven and you're saved, but Second, when you accept Christ and you receive that grace, you're adopted into his family. You have a spiritual family. It's amazing. And I'm, and I'm also guaranteed citizenship in his kingdom, which, in which he's the king, the Lord of lords. Before him, I was separated from God. Now I'm adopted in, into the family as a child of the almighty God who is so gracious and just lavishes his grace on us. And I have a family because I'm accepted, because I have accepted his indescribable gift. And also, not only that, when I accept Jesus, I receive the gift of his Holy Spirit to live within me. And now he guides and counsels and powers and protects and, 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 and empowers and protects me in everything I do. What a gift to carry. God's presence inside of me all of the time. 
not a part-time God, not a part-time gift. It's a gift that's always there. What a comfort that is as we go through life. It's also convicting because then we realize, whoop, beep, 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 you shouldn't be doing that. You shouldn't be thinking that because you know God sees everything and knows everything. Not only that, when we receive this gift, we're also given his peace. Not peace of the world, Jesus says, as the world gives, but the peace that passes all understanding, peace that allows me to cope with everyday situations, peace that allows me to look beyond all the the, the stuff that just clouds the air of life in our world right now, and we we can breathe clean air, so to speak, Him, and just be free. And and, and I'll mention one more thing that happens, the effect that, that, that receiving this gift has, is that there's already a mansion in heaven for you. That's, that's cool. I, we don't talk about that enough. You know? and, and it's paid for. It's a, it's a dwelling place that's going to last for all eternity. And as we celebrated our sister Julie's life this past week on Tuesday, she's up there. She's waiting for her. She's got her mansion. I don't know, I, I don't know if God knows my wish list, but man, I really want that pool. You know? I just, that would be cool. You know? I, but but we're gonna, we have that. It's going to last for all eternity. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus, our Lord. And that is indescribable, too, when you think about that. Let me ask you, have you received the gift of eternal life that comes through faith in Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord in your life? I'm looking around, and I realize that we have a lot of regulars, we have a lot of members, we have a lot of brothers and sisters here, and even so, as Pastor Dan or myself or any other pastor here, we've always said, we always, we always ask the question, because you know what? I don't know where your relationship is with Jesus. Growing up in a home with your parents because they serve Jesus doesn't make you born again or a Christian. It doesn't mean that you have received this gift so that you come to terms in stuff, on some level to understand that it's, He's indescribable because you've experienced Him. If you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, your response will echo Paul's words when he's, and, you, and basically you'll say this. You know, I really can't describe Jesus. Well, I can historically in the Bible. We, 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 we know about him. But all I can do is fall on my knees and thank God for the indescribable gift. One of the things that we do is that we often talk about the price that Jesus paid when he died for our sins. Boy, that was a price. Right? But have you ever considered how much it cost Christ to come to earth to take on flesh and to dwell among us? Imagine, Jesus in heaven, fully God with all the privileges of omnipotence, he chose to come and dwell on this earth and serve humanity. Jesus, fully God, yet choosing to become fully man, to experience... And by the way, that's almost indescribable too. That he's fully God and fully man. That's a biblical truth. And he comes to experience everything that you experience. He's sovereign God. He's in control of the entire universe. And in himself, he needs nothing. He's God. He always was. He is. And he doesn't need any. He doesn't. He's free to do whatever he wishes. Whenever he wishes. However he wishes. For whatever purpose he wishes. And yet he chooses to come as a baby. Totally dependent on everyone around him. 
Think about this. God. He's the giver of life. And then he and yet when he comes, he's receiving life through the womb of a teenage girl who's carrying him. He's God. And think about this. The prophets tell us this, and there's, there's pictures of this, and in the New Testament as well, that he's a God who's dressed in robes of glory, right? And he comes to earth, and he's wrapped in what? Swaddling cloths. He's God. He's the bread of life. Jesus was the bread of life. And, and he's laid in a feeding trough. He was also the good shepherd, and it's where the sheep ate. He was born there. He was clean and pure, holy, perfect. And yet, he requires bathing now as a little baby. God, who is immutable, he never changes. He's always the same. We read that in James 1.17. There is no shadow of turning. He's always the same. He's consistent. And yet, he needs changing, if you know what I mean. The God who holds the entire universe in his hand. And now he's grabbing onto his mom's hand. Joseph's hand. And being led and walked around and guided. God, think about this. The Bible tells us he spoke the entire world into existence. And now he has to learn how to speak. The God... The God who walked in the garden with Adam and Eve, and now he's got to learn how to walk himself physically. The God who is the rock of ages. There's so many, I'm skipping through a lot of these. He's, now he's skipping stones on the Sea of Galilee, and here's the rock of ages throwing little stones and skipping them on the Sea of Galilee. God, the perfect one, was probably mocked by his peers as being illegitimate. Think about that. God who formulated everything in creation had a plan. It was this intelligent, beautiful, intricate design and now he has to go to school to learn math. God who wrote the law has to go to school to learn the Jewish law. And I'll skip, but God who grows all the trees and all the mountains and hillsides and fields, he's the one who grew that tree. He's the one now as a man He's the one who embraces that tree. He climbs up on the cross, or he's put there, actually, to die for you and for me. Now, if you asked me, that's an uneven exchange. It's an uneven exchange. It's not fair. It's not right. It's not like going to Target and saying, oh, my flat screen TV has a crack in the screen, and they give you a new one. It's, no, this is like, you know, I, I got a broken matchbox car and I get a you know, Mercedes in return or whatever. I'm, you can't even, even that doesn't, you can't, doesn't explain it properly. It's uneven. And for him to come down and to humble himself and what he wants to give us in return, it's uneven exchange. He came, he became a man by choice. It was a costly choice and it was the greatest gift exchange ever. But here's the catcher and we're going to finish with this. There's a second part to this exchange. And the Christmas story calls for this exchange right now. And you've got to do it if you haven't done it. And it's a giving on our part. If we're willing to accept his invitation, God wants to exchange our darkness for his light. He wants to exchange our sadness for his joy. He wants to exchange our emptiness for the fulfillment and hope that only he can bring us. He wants to exchange our sickness for his wholeness. 
He wants to exchange our purposelessness. Right? Where we're wandering around with meaning and fill our life with meaning. He wants to exchange our sin for total forgiveness and purity in God's eyes. He wants to exchange our shame for complete acceptance. This year, don't get distracted by what the world offers you. Don't hold on to your past. Don't cherish the temporary. Instead, accept the gift, the indescribable gift. Don't miss the ultimate gift exchange. When you came in, you had a box. If you didn't get a box, Ryan will grab you one real quick, I guess. Did you get a little box? We're going to close like this. Because this box, don't open it yet, this box, it's very simple. This box is a symbol of of what we can bring to Jesus. But it's something that he wants us to do. He's inviting us to do because he wants us to open up that box and give him whatever is in there. And that box is our life. And it could be sin. It could be your gifts. It could be the good stuff, the bad stuff, everything that's there. He wants you to present it because it's you. It's who you are. And you give it to him. And then what he wants to do is he wants to make an uneven exchange, an uneven gift exchange. He wants you to walk away. So what we're going to do is, you're going to open that box. And open that box. Yep, you can open that box. Right now. Sunday morning, December 19th. And all it says in there is, what does it say? Jesus, Jesus, I give you. How much longer do you want to go? Trying to make your, you know, packaging yourself good, but inside you're empty, you got all the stuff I listed, and even more, and God only knows what they are. Jesus is inviting you to come and exchange that for the indescribable gift that He has to offer you of salvation, hope, peace, love, joy, salvation. And so what we're gonna do is you're gonna play some music. Hey, Kate's gonna play some music. We're gonna have an altar call. I know you guys forgot what that means, right? We're gonna have an altar call. If you need to leave, and if and go into the foyer and respectfully have your conversations out there. If you want to stay in your seat, that's fine, but the altars are open. And listen, this is a symbolic thing of what you're going to give over to Jesus, and I want you to do it this way. When you come to the altar, you know what's on your mind and your heart. Jesus, I give you. You fill in that blank, but you take that piece of paper out and you leave it at the altar. Then you close that box back up because what you gave him is replaced with everything a million times better that God gives you and you walk away holding on to that truth that it's yours because you belong to him. Maybe someone's here this morning and you never asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. You take that box and you just say, Jesus, I give you myself. Wash my sins away. I want you to be my Lord. He'll fill your life. It'll all be different. You'll walk away a different person. Things will start to change as you rely and trust Him and serve Him and do things His way. Make that your prayer. I'm not going to even tell you how to do that. If you're feeling that, you just come and you do that. But the altar is going to be open. If you want to do it in your seat, that's fine. But don't pass this up. This could be the greatest gift exchange ever. Amen?
Let's pray, and then we'll, we'll open the altars. Heavenly Father, thank you for this word this morning. Father, I pray that we would take you at your offer to participate in the greatest gift exchange ever, the most uneven one, that you would take our sins, you would take our griefs, you would take our hurts, our habits, our hang-ups, our wants, our, all the bad stuff, and even the good, you would take that and you would exchange that and give us your grace, your forgiveness, your love, your mercy, your peace, your joy, your hope. Father, I pray that today that would be a reality for each one of us. May we do this by faith and this physical gesture, God, so that our heart can follow what we do spiritually. God, help us to give over these things so that we can receive everything you have for us. And most of all, the gift of eternal life. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a Merry Christmas. Christmas Eve service, 7 o'clock. But please act on that. Kate's going to play. Spend some time at the altar, at your seat. Make this exchange today. Don't wait.